Welcome back. I'm Peter Wood, and I'm the author of Mud Between Your Toes, A Rhodesian Farm, which is a memoir about my life growing up in Zimbabwe, or formerly Rhodesia, in the 1960s and 70s. This is a podcast about family, independence, loss, and above all, identity. This episode is dedicated to dogs, farm dogs, 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 dogs. Now, typical of any farm anywhere in the world, we always had dogs, dogs of every breed imaginable. Some were pedigree, others of the more Heinz 57 variety. We seem to go through so many dogs over a couple of decades, it was like a plantagenet family tree for pooches. Only shorter lifespans, which take some beating when considering the mortality rate of the English kings and queens. The wood dogs, or mesitwi dogs, would come and go like the moods in a loony bin. Unlike most families, our dogs rarely died of old age. Bless them. My earliest experience was Hobo, a white bull terrier with a brown patch over his eye, a bit like a pirate. Originally belonging to my gran, who lived in Salisbury, he was way too unruly and vicious to the postman. So Hobo was banished to the farm, lucky dog. Despite the so-called viciousness, Hobo was possibly the gentlest dog I've ever known. I mean, there are some dogs that just love children. Hobo was one of them. He once saved my life and that of my sister Mandy. When I was a toddler, we came across a cobra in the garden. Hobo was extraordinary, refusing to allow us hapless children to go near the snake by positioning himself between Mandy and me and the cobra. Each time the cobra lunged, Hobo would dash in between and prevent the snake from striking us. Again and again. We were persistent children with some kind of death wish. Finally, Hobo's incessant barking woke my irate parents from their kip, and they managed to chase the snake away, but not before threatening to shoot that damn noisy dog. It was siesta time on the farm. Kanker finally got the better of poor Hobo, and my father finally did get his wish, and Hobo had to be shot. It was the humane thing to do, as he was in tremendous pain. Next in line to the throne was one dog who ruled the roost for many years and did manage to die of old age. His name was Black Dog or officially known as Kaiser, a beautiful black pure Alsatian with nine lives, a heart of gold, and absolutely terrified of guns. You see, Black Dog as a pup witnessed the culling of Hobo. The mere sight of a gun made him slink away, tail curled between his legs. Black Dog 
was only ever called Kaiser if and when he had committed a cardinal sin such as fart indoors or steal some morsel when no one was looking. Kaiser, my mum would say, have you farted? Poor Beady, or Black Dog, as we like to call him, would lower his ears and creep out, trying as hardest not to be seen. B.D. also got a taste of the hippo-hide shumbuck after he quietly ate every single canapé at a dinner party. Like all farm dogs, he loved hunting and was one of those rare creatures who had been caught several times in a wire snare and yet had survived. Survival depending entirely on the dog having the brains not to pull and thus choking themselves slowly but surely. It was a terrifying death. Truth be told, I'm not sure how Black Dog managed to survive, but the dog had a good memory and obviously a good brain. We did our best to prevent snares, but on a farm of 13,000 acres, ah, it was a losing battle. There were snares of all sizes on the bush trails, tiny ones for diker antelope and rabbits and large ones, made from wire big enough to fit a dog's head into. Of course, Black Dog had a trophy. Having been caught so many times in snares, he developed a perfect pure white ring around his neck where the snares had dug in and killed the hair follicles. As far as I recall, the smart animal had been caught at least three times and always had the temerity and patience to wait it out, often for up to a week without water, until some cattle boy might find him and rescue him. <laughs> of course, ironically, the snares having been set by those very cattle boys. They knew where all those snares had been set, and often it was a race against time to find the dog before it choked to death. My beloved Tessa, a gorgeous pedigree Alsatian, prone to epileptic fits, finally met her end in another snare. I think such a highly strung animal would have choked to death very quickly. I do hope so. Typical of many pedigree Alsatians, she was a one-man dog and adored me, but was very wary of strangers. Her two siblings met a more calamitous end. Buff and Dugger Boy. Well, they went quite wild, and one night they ate our peacock. Us kids made every excuse under the sun and even blamed it on the full moon. So they were given a reprieve. Buff and Dugger Boy, three-quarters Alsatian and one-quarter Mastiff. They were huge, thick-skinned, boisterous lads. They certainly lived up to their names, Buff being short for Buffalo, and Dugger Boy was the name given to those lone, often cantankerous rogue buffalo bulls, festooned with cariba weed in their horns and bodies covered in dried mud, Dugger being the Shona word for mud. Perhaps these names should have been an omen, the two dogs simply went wilder each full moon. 
However, peacocks aside, no mercy was shown when they managed to kill and eat our horse, Piccolo. Yes, you heard me correct. The two dogs ran down and savagely killed our horse and ate it. I mean, it seems extraordinary that they managed to bring down such a large animal, and indeed this is still disputed as to whether they did the killing. My brother thinks they found the dead animal, and so took the opportunity to fill their bellies. However, as with so many Plantagenet kings, with blood on their hands, they had to die. My dad shot them both. God knows, he explained later, they would eat your bloody foot while you were asleep. Gosh, we never seemed to learn. Next in line was Bruno, yet another Alsatian. He went hunting, never to return, although we suspect or heard on the grapevine that he was stolen. He was such a beautiful, trusting creature. He would get into any car, I should imagine. We'll never know what happened to him, poor creature. Bruno wasn't the only dog to disappear. Our obsession with Alsatians continued with a beautiful yet rather unfriendly dog called Lara, named after Lara's theme in Dr. Shivago. She was a pure white Alsatian and was the perfect foil for the pitch black black dog. Seeing the two of them together was really very special. Lara only trusted my mum and was terrified of my dad. Oddly, this uh, pure white dog scared the African workers. They thought she was a ghost. And she was also highly prized by witch doctors. Lara disappeared one day. Of course, we would never know what happened to her, but rumour has it she was spirited away to the native reserve where her bones and teeth were used for juju or mooty. Now there was Bella. She was my miniature German schnauzer and for once did manage to die of old age. But how she achieved this is anyone's guess. Despite her size, she was an avid hunter and would always lure the other larger dogs into the bush to go hunting, sometimes for days on end. We would simply never know where they went. We always feared the worst. But after a time, one dog would turn up, tongue lolling out, shortly followed by another, and then another, always full of porcupine quills, ticks and burrs, and cuts and thorns in their pads. But they looked so happy. God, they loved a good hunt. I've no idea how successful they were at hunting. But Bella was quite fearless and would plunge across fast-flowing rivers, leap through thorn bushes and run for mile after mile after fleet-footed buck. Like the goddess of hunt, she was Diana. She was Neith. She was Flyday. She was Artemis. She was Bankamundi. Tragically and inevitably, Bella occasionally returned alone and we knew that the larger of the dogs was possibly dead, caught in a snare. 
Often we never found out, they simply disappeared. One has to wonder how Bella managed to survive those snares. Perhaps it was her diminutive size. Most snares were set for larger game. Perhaps it was the result of a trauma from a very early age when she was barely weaned. She had gone hunting with Bruno, our large German shepherd. Bruno had returned and Bella had not. I mean, she was only a puppy. Shouting at Bruno and mindlessly expecting him to understand, he suddenly began barking like mad and running back down the hill and then back up to the house and then back down to the hill again and again. We thought he had gone crazy. Then I realized he was trying to tell us something. And there I thought Lassie was just movie magic. Jumping into the back of the truck, we shot off after the dog down the road several miles, then into the bush, dodging trees and gullies. The dog constantly running ahead, then waiting for us to catch up. Finally, Bruno came to a stop. And there, beneath a tree, bedraggled, lost, yet unbroken, was little Bella. Bruno had saved her life. The little thing was only eight months old and the hunting fever was already coursing through her veins. Bella was succeeded by Sammy, a rather ill-bred cur from the SBCA, and then Charlie, a cheeky Jack Russell who found enjoyment snapping at the wheels of the Land Rover and finally meeting his maker beneath the very same vehicle. Poor little Charlie. After the death of my gran, we inherited Jenny, another dog of very suspect parentage. My father always said that Jenny should have been buried with my gran, they were so close. However, scruffy, ill-bred Jenny died of old age in the end. My brother also had a ridgeback, a Rhodesian ridgeback, called Rumpel after Rumpel Stiltskin. Another hunter finally found rotting in a snare. Could a dog whisperer have trained our mutts not to hunt? I have my doubts, I don't think so. And you may think us unsentimental oiks, but you couldn't be further from the truth. We were devastated when our dogs died, but we had to be pragmatic. Yet the saddest story of all our dogs must have been that of the ones who were there at the end, when my parents knew that they were to be thrown off the farm by Robert Mugabe's war veterans with little more than what they could load into a truck. And they also knew that the two dogs had to be put down. God, it sounds brutal, and it was brutal. But think about it. Everyone they knew were being thrown from their land. Everyone was in the same boat. There was simply no place for them in this evacuation. I mean, what made this so tragic was that this was happening throughout the country to hundreds of dogs, cats, horses, pets of all description. Finally, the country ran out of pentobarbitone to euthanize the vast quantities of animals required putting down. And so my parents made the ghastly decision to shoot them. 
leaving the animals to survive in their own, well, it was out of the question and would have been very cruel. But that's what happened to many pets. There were angels out there, such as Merrill Harrison, whose mission on behalf of the underfunded ZN SPCA was to go into these destroyed farmsteads to rescue countless domestic animals and wounded livestock. But for the most part, they would have died of starvation. My mother's dog, Crackers, a relation to Charlie, was a sweet, albeit hyperactive Jack Russell, who had saved her on many an occasion from snakes in the garden. Their other dog, Shumba, was a magnificent Rhodesian Ridgeback, beautiful, if not somewhat thick. Two graves were dug at the end of the lawn, one small and one large. Every day for a week, my parents would wait and hope that just maybe, just maybe things might change and that this nightmare would come to an end. Having to walk past the graves every day must have been ghastly. And do you know, those poor dogs never left my mother's side the entire week, tripping her up wherever she went, getting under her feet, knowing that something was up. However, when the day came, my father couldn't do it and he had to call my brother to come over and do the deed. Poor Duncan said, trying to get a bead on the little terrier as it dashed across the lawn, clearly confused, yet understanding what was about to happen, was an absolute nightmare that he hopes never to experience again. And so... The last of the farm dogs had died and the Masitwi dog family dynasty finally came to an end. Thirteen dogs from gmail.com. If you want to get involved and you have a good story to tell about those years in Rhodesia, and if you're brave enough to be interviewed for Mud Between Your Toes, feel free to write to me. Goodbye. <laughs>